My name is Lady Breon. I would describe myself as an unapologetically black woman. Ryan Little. <laughs> Last spring, I had the immense pleasure of speaking with Lady Breon about who she is and the work that she does. Um, I'm a Christian woman, I am a spoken word artist, and I am an activist. She does what I believe is really powerful work. I also work with a nonprofit that is art centered called Do More Baltimore, and my job there is um, also as a teaching artist, but both as a program director and teaching artist. So I teach sometimes, and other times I am dispatching other poets to schools and um, community centers, etc., around the city to do poetry workshops and poetry coaching. This interview was actually recorded sometime last spring, and listening back, I was struck at how strong and beautiful and confident of a role model Lady Brian is for her students. We had a really wonderful conversation, and I wanted to share that with you guys. So, here it is. So, Do More Baltimore is an art-centered nonprofit going on four years old, and basically we do poetry programming in schools and community centers around Baltimore City. And so you have a roster of teaching artists that we hand-selected, and most of them, like I said, specialize in spoken word, but some of them are also like rappers, and et cetera. And we dispatch them out to different schools to do poetry workshop or poetry coaching, and then we have a big um, spoken word festival in April at MICA. So, you know, that's the crux of our program. When I met Lady Brian, she was facilitating one such program in a seventh-grade English class here in Baltimore City. So there was a prompt in the classroom um, where you sort of provided starters for the students to write their own poetry. Mm-hmm. One of those prompts was in my city. And um, I noticed that a lot of the students had very negative responses. And I was just wondering if you had done that particular exercise with other um, with other students and, and other classrooms, and if you saw similar responses with students in Baltimore City. Yeah. Well, I mean, I typically do prompts that are about self or about the environment because it's just easy mm-hmm. to have people write about, but increasingly you will see responses like what you saw in that class. And, I, of course, it's a, it's a response to the uprising. It's a response to the death of Freddie Gray. It's a response to the poverty and injustice that's around them. And I think you know, one of the beautiful things about poetry is it gives students space and the opportunity to say things that they don't normally get to say, and people will listen, right? Because, you know, at what point in the classroom environment do we get to say those things or or at home? You know, these are just things that we kind of accept as normal, or things that we have to deal with. Um, and with poetry, we get to express our dissatisfaction. We get to express our hurt. We get to express, you know, the turmoil that is our everyday life. And so... To answer your question, unfortunately, it is a very common response, and um, I think it just speaks to the injustice that is in our city and the brokenness of black Baltimore and the need to (laughs) do a lot of work (laughs) in our city. And, you know, it doesn't take much for young people to pick up on it. They know that life doesn't have to be this way. They know everybody doesn't live this way. So, you know, you kind of 
you hear it, you know, it, it, it doesn't take much. Like my prompt, all my prompt set was in my city. It could have went so many different ways. And every response, you know, was about the death and destruction, dilapidated buildings, broken homes, right? Police misconduct and, you know, faulty government. Like everybody's poem was had the same tropes. And so, you know, I think it just speaks to how they how they really feel and how, Nobody really listens. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, you know, would be important to students healing from from that sort of a thought process? Well, I think poetry and art in and of itself is a start. It's a coping mechanism. It's a release. Um, Because, again, we walk around with all this built-up stress and anxiety, and we usually don't have a place to put it. And you want to listen to it to kind of take it off our shoulders. And it doesn't mean that the problems get fixed. But healing isn't just fixing the problem necessarily because some of these problems, they won't see them be fixed in their lifetime. But it is still healing and therapeutic to be able to just share how you feel and have people genuinely listen. Know that you're not the only one who feels this way. Um, and and, and that, that's a big part of why Do More Baltimore is structured the way it is, because that's our whole purpose, right? To listen, give young people a platform and a safe space to just let it out um, and hope that it leads to them being a lot less apathetic and understanding that I can be a part of the change, right? I can use my art to make a difference. I can get connected to other people who feel the way I feel and we can do something um, because... We learn, especially as inner city youth, we learn to become numb. We learn to stop feeling, to ignore, you know, and in the world of poetry, you can't. You can't write authentic poetry and not feel. So it kind of reawakens that part of ourselves that we hide in the safest place we can find because we know it hurts to expose it. And so I think that that's a big part of the healing process is first letting it out and accepting that this is how you feel. Um, and, that's, and that's what I think that art can do. What do you want young black people to know about being black? How would you encourage them to live well in their brown skin? Well, I think first, you know, I like this wave of unapologetic blackness. And I think that people don't necessarily understand how revolutionary that is. And so my first thing that I'm teaching when I'm coaching young people is to be unapologetic about themselves. If you feel enraged, you be enraged. Your black rage is acceptable. If you are alternative... And black, you be alternative and black, and that's your right. You know, if you are a part of the LGBTQ community and black, that's your right. You ain't any less black because that is another part of your identity. Our identities intersect. There are so many parts of us. And I think that a part of the black experience is learning how to cut parts of yourself away so that you can be accepted in the black community. But the reality is there's no monolithic blackness. There is no one way to be black. And so the first part for me is to teach young girls and young boys to be unapologetic about who they are 
Because the more we try to fit into this box, the less authentic we are and the more problems that arise as a result. So that's, you know, that's the first part of it. Um, But in addition to that, I think that it is very necessary to train young people to find out about their history to find out about their people, to find out about their culture and make those connections because a person who is not rooted in anything is equally as lost as somebody who is not willing to be unapologetically how they feel, right? When you don't understand your hair because you don't understand all that comes with that, right? When you don't understand, you know, your community because you don't know what comes with that. When you don't understand your history because you haven't done the research to know about it, you are lost in the world, right? We orient ourselves in the world based on the connections we have to ourselves and our people. And as black people, all throughout the diaspora, but especially in America, there's just such a lack of connection that we're lost and we're constantly searching to find who we are and to have... um, kind of this this validity and the only way you can have that is if you you go back and you connect right Sankofa so um I think those are my biggest two things and and if I could add one more it's just um to again decrease that apathy and go out and stand for something do something become a part of something become a part of some organization some initiative something because again once you start to empower young people, that is the only way that we can really have um, substantive change that is long-lasting and worthwhile. And so, you know, it doesn't all have to be Black Lives Matter this and Black Lives Matter that. It doesn't all have to be, um, you know, environmental. It Whatever it is that you're passionate about, go and do that. Go and be a part of that. There are so many things for people to be a part of and to help make change. Whatever it is you're passionate about, go do that. For me, it's art, right? For me, it is basically bettering the material conditions of my people. On one side, it's the policy kind of um, stuff with, you know, going to um, Annapolis and, um, you know, lobbying and et cetera, putting in legislation. And on the other side, it's art. Those are the two things that, you know, I try to be connected in. Um, But it can change. It can be anything for anybody, you know. For some people, it's food security. I don't care. It's just like go and do something. You can't just sit around and say that there are so many problems and not tap into some kind of solution because then you're just helpless and hopeless, Right. Then you kind of just wither away and die. So I think those are the three things that I kind of try to push young people towards. Lady Brianna is also affiliated with an organization called the Leaders of the Beautiful Struggle. They're doing on the ground activism work that is actually passing laws. Think tank. Um, We focus on policies that can help better the material conditions of black people, particularly in Baltimore City. Um, And so some of the things that we've accomplished kind of in that vein um, is we passed Christopher's Law, which was in response to an off-duty police officer strangling a young boy to death out in Baltimore County. 
The law itself basically just speaks to the rights and responsibilities of an off-duty police officer and to mandate biannual training for police officers to have skills in emergency services. So, um, you know, that was one thing. We also were a part of stopping the youth jail from being built um, over in West Baltimore. Um, right now we're doing a lot of work with the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights because when thinking about the death of Freddie Gray and everything that kind of happened around that, people don't really understand the effect that the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights had on the way in which those officers could be pro- prosecuted and um, all of that stuff. So that is our focus right now. But, yeah, so we're a policy think tank. We help to kind of direct people's thinking about things, which is really important because – you know, that's how other communities function. The kind of things that people grow to understand and, and come behind, there was a think tank that was responsible for putting that propaganda out, whether it be positive or negative. So that's what we do. We also have a debate camp that I forgot to say because we were all debaters um, in our life. <laughs> so um, we run a um, national three-week um, residency debate camp. It is now at Coppin State University. It used to be at Morgan State. Um, It is the first and only, well, maybe not the first, but it is the only um, black, like unapologetically black, uh, um, national debate camp. And the way in which we teach debate is also in that same vein. Um, And it's about more so than just debate. It's about advocacy and leadership outside of the debate space. Right, and so because that's that's essentially what we do. We took our debate skills and applied it to our work in the community. Yeah. So um, that's another part of what we do. Do you? This is sort of a random question. Do you work with white students? Interestingly enough, um, we have every year had white students at our camp, and nothing changes. It's mm-hmm. like if you decided to come here, yeah. you knew what it was. Yeah. You know who we are. Right. Um, and <laughs> Do they so, stay? Yeah, they stay. Um, we haven't had many issues at all around that um, yeah. because, uh, you know, a part of it is you have to learn what your white privilege is, mm-hmm. how it functions, and then how to do away with it. Yeah. If that's what you really want to do with your life, if you believe um, and, and exist to further justice, then you yeah. got to understand how you could do that. So, um, you know, they, they learn the same things as the black students. Um, you know, they, they make arguments that are relevant to bettering black people, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because honestly, it's not just, a, in my opinion, it's not just a fight for black people. It's not because we weren't responsible for putting ourselves in this position. A lot of the policies were written were not written by us. A lot of the agendas that were written were not written by us. They were written by white people who don't understand their privilege and how it affects people of color. And so if you really want to make some change, use your white privilege and bend it towards justice, right? So you have to learn how to do that. And we, you know, our our debate camp kind of helps them understand that. So I think it's equal as equally as important for white people to be in that space if they're willing to kind of go on that journey with us. But it does get awkward sometimes because, you know, when people come into their consciousness, it comes with a lot of rage. It comes with a lot of anger. It comes with a lot of confusion. And you don't have anybody to point it at except closest white person usually so um but it's also an encouraging space because they're growing together they're learning together right they're becoming friends and so being able to work 
together in that space in a diverse environment can also be really helpful because you got to understand that the system of white supremacy is not pointing the finger at individual white people. That doesn't help, nor is it actually the problem. We're talking about a whole system and institutions um, that are responsible for that. So it also teaches black people how to not get caught up in in the individual bigotry of white people, but rather the systems that, um, you know, keep white supremacy alive. So it's interesting. But, yes, we do, in fact, always have white people or, you know, other people of color who are not black Mm -hmm. as well. So. What do you recommend people do, white people do, to extend their privilege? What does that look like? Well, it's interesting. I think that first and foremost, when they, when they come into black spaces, black communities, black organizations, they have to, one, know that they cannot and should not ever be in charge. Right? That means you don't get to write any agendas. That means you don't get to lead anything. That means you take a step all the way to the back and you ask how can you help from the back, right? And if you're willing to do that, okay, now we're in a good space. And I think once we're in that space, I think that there are a lot of ways that white people can extend their privilege, right? Because there are certain connections that we naturally won't have that white people might, right? There are resources that we might not have these white people might. There are certain spaces where it is beneficial to have white people there, right? You talk about demonstrations, you talking about being on the front lines. When you got white people on the front line, people deal with you differently. You wouldn't understand how powerful, unfortunately, that is. And not to say I'm taken away from my blackness at all, my power at all, but we live in a racist society where we get treated differently based on how we look. So if you want to extend your privilege, go ahead and put your white skin on the line. (laughs) Go ahead and get right on the front lines. We appreciate you. Right. We appreciate you. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of ways, but, um. You know, and, and and it's different for different organizations and different spaces. But you mm-hmm. figure out how you can be most helpful, and you, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Without taking the lead, without saying I am the white savior and I have to come fix everything, because mm-hmm. that's not helpful at all. And if that's your mentality, you probably should go. Yeah. So. there was one thing you could fix with a magic wand about Baltimore City's um, about the education that Baltimore City's youth receives, what would it be? If I could fix one thing with a magic wand, I would infuse black history into the curriculum. You know? Because the reality is Black history is everybody's history. Yeah. You know, they try to make it seem like European history is somehow everybody's history. But the reality is, if my people were the first people, if if our civilization was the original civilization, then that means that our history is everybody's history. Right. And so everybody should be forced to learn it, respect it, love it. Yeah. So if I could if I could change something with a magic wand, that would be it. <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, I, I liked what you were saying earlier about, you know, about young people learning their history. I feel like that's something that I you know, came late to, um, but I, I do feel like it's so important that, that foundation to understand that you are more than these conditions that you see, you know, in these streets today, that you, 
came from something great, that you have something to be proud of, to to know and understand that, to, to grow up with that. Like if that was something that we were teaching in our schools from jump, can you imagine? Yeah, I can't. I wish. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, I mean, I think that there would be a tremendous change if from early education, you know, black culture and history was infused into the curriculum. Um, it, I mean, so many things would change. So many um, preconceived notions and misconceptions. I think so many identity issues that happen within the school. There's just so many things that would change. And, you know, there are a lot of things that could change with the school system. But for me, I, I think that, in my opinion, is very important. And you've kind of talked a little bit about this before, but what does it mean to you to be black? What does it mean to me to be black? Um, It's really interesting. Those questions are always kind of hard because, you know, I wonder how often do white people ask other white people what does it mean to be white? Mm -hmm. Or Asian people ask other Asian people what does it mean to be Asian? Mm -hmm. And I think that it is only... A question for black people is because we are we we are people that have been ripped from everything we knew and everything we are and constantly trying to claw our way back to that so there is always this question of what is blackness what what is a black person um and the reality is it's just me I could give you my answer, but you can ask another black person and they would give Mm -hmm. you a totally different answer and neither one of those are wrong, Mm -hmm. right? I think that, again, blackness is not monolithic, right? When you look at the continent of Africa, there are so many countries and within those countries, there are all these tribes, right? All these languages. languages, Mm -hmm. Dialects. Food and clothing. Mm -hmm. There is no just one African way. Just like there's just not there's not just one black way. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is that African people and black people, I believe they're the moral compass of the world. Really? I think that when you when you just look at all that we've been through and the love we still have, the ability we still have to laugh and and grieve with other people and be empathetic to other people, even the people who have oppressed us. You know, people call it weakness, but I think it speaks to our morality. So there's just such a great level of just goodness in black people, despite all the pictures that people like to paint of us that were ghetto and thugs and killers. What I see is a people that are just uniquely loving to a fault. And I think that, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful thing about our people. When you look at, you know, 100% black communities and the way the grandmamas look out for the whole block or, um, you know, the way that, you know, somebody dies in the community and the community comes together and they hold each other down. Like, that's that's a part of the black experience that I really do appreciate and I'm really coming to 
um, to learn more and more, especially as an activist in Baltimore. You know, it's 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 the poetry it's slam amazing that Lady Brianna mentioned of our people is coming up on April the twenty first. We so have to remind be ourselves sure to check that it out where if we want to go. The Black Lives Matter movement so is just sure as much a reminder to black people as it is to white people that Black Lives Matter, yeah. and 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 what that really means. Because I think too often we we forget who we are. And how blessed we are to be who we are and, and, and how amazing it is to exist in this skin and this body in this context and this time, as tough as it is. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of things that I could say about our rhythm and our and our color and, you know, not just our blackness. I mean, our color, our patterns, our style. Um, you know, I, I feel like we are poetry emotion. There's so many things I could talk about being black but you know one of the things I'm coming to find is just that we we remind the world what it means to be human and loving because through all that we've been through we're still here and smiling I did just want to take a moment to say a huge thank you to Lady Brian for talking with me and sharing her story and she's definitely an asset to Baltimore City. I did also want to mention that the poetry slam that she talked about that is hosted by Doomer Baltimore is coming up soon. It's going to be April the 20th through the 23rd at MICA if you're in the Baltimore area. I'll have links in the description. If you want to follow Lady Brian, you can do so on Twitter at Lady underscore Brian or on Instagram at Lady Brian. Regular Black Radio was produced by me, Sully, a regular Black person. Music and theme music this week by Ryan Little. If you like today's show, please go on iTunes and leave a five-star review. We'd love to hear from you, and it really helps other people find out about the show. You can follow Regular Black Radio on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Regular Black. And you can sign up for our newsletter to be updated when new episodes are released at regularblackradio.com. As always, thanks for listening, and remember to be your black, whatever that means to you.